Welcome to Zen One Podcast, a place where we can feel a little bit more connected with one another. Mary. Hey. It's so awesome to have you back. Thanks. Glad to be here. Thank you so much. How was your world in the last couple of months? I'm just curious because <laughs> I know we went through uh, a death by webinars and then everybody was doing, we did a lot of webinars yep. and we were lucky to have you on our webinars <laughs> and you. your webinar was probably the most attended oh, between you right. and Tim Twig. Yeah. These were yeah. two most popular. Sure. And so I'm just curious, what, what was the life in the last couple of months? I love the description, death by webinars. And, you know, it, it's calmed down from the standpoint of everybody wanting to know more about the, the virus and how it spreads and all that. I think we've gotten more information about that now, although we're still learning every day. Um, now what I see are people struggling still with getting PPE and what to do in their practices. Should they fog their treatment rooms or not? And what's legitimate technology and what's been proven by science. But the last several weeks have really been a lot of um, putting out fires for teams that either have someone, a team member who was exposed to and became COVID positive outside of work from exposure to a family member or they went to a social event or or something like that. And also practices finding out after the fact they've treated a patient and the patient calls them back and said, well, I didn't want to tell you that I was COVID positive because I really wanted my teeth cleaned or my fillings done, whatever. Or they didn't know they were COVID positive until after they were in the office. And so it's... Um, it's been a struggle. People getting paranoid. They think that the entire office has to go and be quarantined, which is not the case. Um, it really, with CDC and health department recommendations, look at what was the type of exposure? How long was it? Um, what kind of PPE were you wearing to to protect yourself and, and so forth? So it really depends on an individual situation. Um, but there have been some practices where even the doctors have been found to be COVID positive, still don't know where necessarily. And they have had to shut the practice down because the doctor can't obviously see patients when um, they are positive and symptomatic. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the world as I know it right now. It's kind of shifting, right? So yeah. you, you never have time just to sit and read the book and do nothing, right? I wish. I wish. I keep thinking that at some point, maybe, maybe this fall, it'll calm down enough that, that, uh -huh. and, you know, have, have some kind of a normal life myself, but it's like working seven days a week, just trying to, to keep up. And of course, CDC keeps updating their guidance and we're still waiting for OSHA to update theirs. They haven't sent us anything in about a month. So we don't know what's cooking in the OSHA in the OSHA world right now, what they're thinking about. Um, and just again, shifting from doing in-person, you know, education to virtual training. So that's been a big change. Okay. Just for the reference, um, since COVID started, did OSHA and CDC update their guidelines? Yes, they did. Um, OSHA issued an updated guidance in April April 17th, I think. I should know those dates by heart. And then the about a week after that, OSHA updated theirs. They called it interim guidance. And then CDC updated theirs again in June. And shortly after, we got some additional guidance from OSHA. And essentially, OSHA and the CDC are are on the same page, really discussing PPE um, and protections. And that's what a lot of people are, are struggling with right now because both OSHA and the CDC say that if you are doing aerosol generating procedures, the new acronym is AGP, 
that you should be wearing an N95 respirator or higher. And so if they're not available, then here's the alternatives. You wear a KN95 or as they're referring to them as foreign manufactured um, respirators, or you wear a level three surgical mask and you wear a full face shield. But just saying that, just because that is what is allowed in case you can't get them doesn't mean you should not pursue getting N95s or using something that has a higher level of protection than an N95, like a PAPR device, a power-assisted um, air purifier, because that's going to give you the most protection. I still tell practices, if you do not have N95s to wear or something that has more protection than that, then ultrasonic scaling is a bit of a crapshoot. I, I think it's too risky for the hygienist to do ultrasonic scaling without that amount of protection. But then there's also some other things that the CDC says that we need to do in terms of air purifiers in treatment rooms and using high volume evacuation and so forth. Got it. Is there any kind of summary of the latest guidelines? Yes, there is. It's on the CDC website. Um, I can provide it for you if you want to attach mm -hmm. it with this. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. If you don't mind, Irina will send you the link after the email so that we can link it up in the in the notes. Yeah. Okay. And there's there's several things. One is the the guidance um, for returning to work that I was referring to, and then there was mm -hmm. the new guidance that came out about um, testing and follow up in case a dental team member was exposed to hepatitis C. That's kind of taken a back seat to COVID. That's still something we need to worry about. And then there's a new set of guidance about returning to work after someone's had a COVID infection. So there, yeah, there's lots of info we can attach and make available to everyone. Okay, that'd be interesting. So as far as um, if someone, just in short, if someone got exposed, right, so what are the current guidelines as far as coming back to work if if... We can just touch on that. Sure. If someone was exposed, the first thing they need to do is contact their physician or contact the local health department. And what a physician's office would do, their personal physician or um, the local health department would do is go through a series of questions about, you know, how long was the exposure? Was there aerosol generated? Did you have PPE on? It's very possible that if the exposure was during well, maybe doing a, a restoration or a hygiene appointment, and there was an N95 being worn and a face shield, and there's all the other air purification and so forth in a treatment room, that they may say it's not a significant exposure. You probably won't qualify for testing because you don't have symptoms. And so the recommendation may be just to monitor for symptoms. Everyone thinks that automatically if you were exposed, you have to be quarantined for 14 days, and that's not necessarily the case. But if the health department determined that it was a more significant exposure, then they may say self-quarantine for a period of time, get tested, and then based on the test results, you may have to extend the quarantine. In other words, if somebody is COVID positive, they may have to extend that quarantine for 14 days. But now the CDC is shifting a bit, and it makes me a little uncomfortable, honestly. We've said that 14-day quarantine should be the right amount of time if someone had symptoms of a COVID infection. But now they're saying... They, and they said at one point that you had to have two negative COVID tests before you could return to work. Now they're saying that you have to be, and I believe it's 24 hours without a fever, without having to take any kind of fever reducing medication like ibuprofen or something. And if you're not coughing and you don't have a fever, then you could return to work because even if you're still COVID positive, at that point with no symptoms, your 
COVID virus is probably not able to replicate or make someone else sick. So we're going to attach that guidance and I would encourage everybody to read through it. it it's, as everything, it's kind of a little bit confusing. You have to read it a couple of times to really understand what they're saying. Um, but I'm, I'm like wanting to err on the side of caution. I'm not sure that if I still tested COVID positive that I would want to be returning to work in a, in a healthcare setting. Um, and so there may be some other recommendations from a health department about that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as far as the PPE, the guidelines are still the N95 respirator. Yes, no they facial. are. Yep. Yes, they if are. If that's not available, then KN95 uh, face shield or no face shield? Face shield. Face shield in all instances because it provides good splatter protection as well. So if, especially if, if a practice has to reuse their um, N95s or their KN95s because they're in short supply, then that prevents contamination of the mask. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The record. And then what's the guidelines on reusing the N95 or KN95? Well, they're, <laughs> it's sort of murky. Um, there are some NIOSH guidelines, National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health, that say that they shouldn't be worn for more than one work shift. Um, but then again, that that may not be realistic because of um, short supplies. So I don't know that there's any specific, you know, number of times you can still wear it. You have to be um, recognized that um, over time taking it on or putting it on and taking it off can loosen the elastic in the straps and then it may not seal tight enough. So I think it really depends more on use, but the bottom line is you can't reuse them forever because remember they're really meant to be disposable and they will return to being disposable once the emergency use authorizations expire. But mm -hmm. I don't see that happening anytime soon with hospitalizations increasing. A lot of the PPE is again being funneled into the medical healthcare system and, and taken away in some cases from dentistry again. So we're, we're in a tough spot. Mm -hmm. And then uh, what about the gowns? So the disposable gowns, what's the guideline on that? CDC recommendation is that that gown should be changed after every patient. Now, I don't know a ton of practices that are following that. They're reusing them. But just remember that the droplets that may come from using a handpiece or an um, ultrasonic scaler are really the most infectious not as much as the aerosol. And so if there are droplets on that gown going from one patient to the next is certainly not a good idea. So a lot of practices have switched to doing in-house laundry and they purchase reusable gowns and change them after every patient. And they have to do laundry sometimes more than once a day, which is kind of a pain in the butt, but they have to have to do it. Um, if disposable gowns are in short supply, some practices are reusing them. I talked to a practice that was doing what we saw on TV that to me was just horrifying. They're wearing garbage bags. I'm like, oh my goodness. Um, that makes kind of a negative statement to your patient. I can't imagine how hot it would be wearing oh, yeah. a garbage bag all day, but oh. So, you know, the thing is, if if you truly cannot get disposable gowns, um, you may have to reuse them. But what you can't do is like disinfect them. Some people are saying they're taking their spray disinfectant and putting it on the gowns. Well, that sort of defeats the purpose. Now they may not be a, a fluid barrier protection for you. Um, some practices have resorted to fogging the gowns. Um, I don't know that we have evidence, science yet behind whether or not that's effective um, to do that with with the fabrics. But, you know, we're we're kind of in some desperate times. Um, the one thing I will tell people is that because there have been some OSHA enforcements in dental practices, 
If you cannot get the N95s that are recommended, then you need to document that you tried to get them. You know, which suppliers did you contact and when and and what, you know, essentially documenting what efforts you made, because if you just blankly or blanketly say, well, they're not available, so I'm going to do something else, that doesn't fly with OSHA in terms of an OSHA inspection. You have to validate that you tried to get them. Mm -hmm. Let's touch on the hot subject then. You know, as we shifted through the pandemic, the first problem was the masks. Everybody was like, wow, we completely out of masks. What do we do? The masks went from a box of 50, level three, from like $6, $7 a box, all the way to not available. Right. Right. And then KN95s came out because you can't get the 3Ms. KN95 came out, there were six, not seven, nine dollars a mask. Mm-hmm. Right. Now KN95s came down all the way down to like $2.15 a mask, which is, I think, where it should be. Uh, now level threes are coming back in availability and we finally got us made for 38 dollars so it's interesting how the supply is shifting up as far as the cost yeah uh, or availability first is not available because everybody buys everything but then when it's available it's at the higher price now we're seeing the same wave with gloves nitrile gloves and wipes yes now probably i want to start with gloves because again there's no manufacturer of gloves in the United States, as far as I know. No, I don't believe so. So they're all coming because of that nitrile material. They're all coming from China, Taiwan, and some other places. Right. And so everybody's predicting that there's going to be a huge shortage of the gloves. Like, I don't believe we're going to completely run out. But what if we do? Well, if first and foremost, if a practice does not have gloves, they cannot see patients. Um, and it's not that is not a COVID issue. That is other types of pathogens, particularly bloodborne pathogens. The risk of hepatitis C, um, or even the risk of a staph infection, or um, even worse, a herpes virus infection that could get into the fingers. So. No, no gloves, no patients. And so if you, we start to see there being some potential shortages, then I would advise practices to really evaluate their schedules. And, and this, is a, this is a pet peeve of mine that everybody just thought, and, and I've said this to you before, Tiger, that you know people thought they were just going to walk in the door, turn on the lights, turn on the air compressor and the vacuum pumps, and it's going to be business as usual. And it's not. I want to get a t-shirt made that says we're still in the pandemic and mm-hmm. we don't know what's coming now when schools open and flu season and, and all of that. So if we run short of gloves, we may have to shut down again. But then in order to sort of avoid a complete shutdown, then I think practices really need to take a look at how they're scheduling patients, not cram all the patients in the schedule that we can, which means that we're, you know, going through a lot of gloves, but perhaps seeing fewer patients and being able to continue to see patients and conserve supplies. So that's the sort of grim reality of the situation that we're in. But there are other types of gloves. The nitrile um, exam gloves are probably the most popular, but there are other materials. Now, I would never go back to using latex gloves, although that's an alternative if you know that your patients don't have latex allergies. So those might be available to use if we can't get other types of gloves. Um So, you know, again, this is going to be kind of any port in a storm to make sure that we can get the supplies and conserve the supplies. But knowing that if you do not have gloves, you should never be touching anything that's been in the patient's mouth that's contaminated. And you should never put your hands in the patient's mouth at all. So just for the record, I think we're doing a lot of work internally to get the gloves and make sure that our, at least our members, I'm not sure about the whole mm-hmm. industry and everybody else, we're gathering all the distributors that still have gloves. And even though the price might be higher, like with gloves, with gloves, we see the same thing. A box of a hundred used to be three ninety nine. Mm-hmm. That doesn't exist anymore. No. Then it went to $8, which we still have few vendors at eight ninety nine, but now it's going to be 13 15 
These are the prices we see. I think it might go all the way up to 20, but again, I, yeah. I'm not going to be predicting what's going to happen. But there still will be supply and there still will be availability of gloves. Uh, I don't think we're going to run out, but obviously it's a big topic. I think the next one is the the wipes. And, you know, I remember the industry standard was Kevy wipe. Everybody talked about Kevy mm-hmm. wipe. Once in a while, I would see, what's the other brand? Um, like, not Defend. Um, oh, this side, perhaps. There, yes. Defend yeah, has a brand, but this side wipes, absolutely. Yep. And then a bunch of house brands. Yes. But now we see like Optim, One, we see mm-hmm. like some MDCs and some things that I've never seen before. Mm-hmm. So I guess there's a shortage of that. And, and I don't know what's going on with what's necessarily with the with Total Cur that makes the Cavi White brand, why they're in a shortage and why they can't fulfill the orders. Maybe they are uh, in the same position where they have to send all of their wipes and disinfectants to the hospitals. But like, what are the options yeah. there? Well, I, I want to just go back to the gloves for one second because I forgot to mention something and then we will talk about the wipes. The mm-hmm. one thing that I want to caution everybody on is not trying to reuse gloves. Um, I didn't want to ask you that question. The, I know, but I got to say it because I can remember and I said this to you earlier that I remember back in the in the HIV AIDS epidemic and people were we were getting short of gloves and people were washing them and reusing them or turning them inside out and using them and that is just not an option washing them can compromise the glove you can get little micro tears and micro pores in the gloves so that should absolutely not be an option to wash and reuse gloves don't go there now, yeah. the issue with the wipes, I think, is what what you said. I think a lot of those resources are being allocated to um, medical facilities because we've seen the hospitals, um, uh, more hospitalizations of COVID patients and such a resurgence of COVID cases in a, in a number of states. So, and the EPA has recently clarified the language about what type of um product that you can use. So a disinfectant can have a label claim for emerging um, viral pathogens or a claim against a human coronavirus. And that's what we were told in the CDC guidance that that's what we should use. Well, some products, including some of the Kerr Total Care Cavawipe or Cavicide products, didn't have that claim, but they met the requirement in the CDC guidelines, which was if there is blood present and there is in most dental procedures that you need to use a product that has a tuberculocidal kill claim. So we had some products and and some companies were doing some kind of unethical, in my opinion, marketing saying don't use, you know, cava wipes because they don't have this emerging pathogens kill claim, but they've already proven their efficacy against mycobacterium tuberculosis. So finally, last week, the EPA clarified and said, if a product says it kills a microorganism with a higher level of difficulty, meaning mycobacterium tuberculosis, then it meets that requirement. And I felt a big sense of relief because that's what I've been telling people all along. If you can kill TB with your product, you're certainly going to kill a coronavirus because it's sort of at the bottom of the food chain in terms of very, very low resistance to disinfectants. So if you know, and Cava Wipes has probably been the best-selling brand in the in the country. It's a good product; people like it, they use it. Um, but there are many products available out there that, as long as they meet that criteria, they have a tuberculocidal kill claim. Then, you know, we may, in some cases, have to switch brands or use what is available to us. Um, the one thing that you want to consider, though, is if you're switching brands, because from one company to the next, there's a little bit difference in chemistry, and you don't want to have um, 
uh, mix of those chemicals because it can cause some staining on surfaces. It can cause some really bad odors. So if you switch products, then what you need to do is go over your countertops and chairs and other surfaces with hot soapy water. And I always recommend Dawn dishwashing liquid because it cuts through a lot of stuff hot soapy dawn go over all those surfaces get the residue off then rinse and dry them and then start with your new product so you don't get a lot of buildup. and i've had a lot of questions lately from practices who say well i can't get wipes they're really in short supply can i make my own and the answer to that is yes but so back in my early days as a dental assistant, when we really didn't disinfect all the surfaces we do in the treatment room, we would take little two by two gauze saturated with isopropyl alcohol and we would wipe our hand pieces and we'd wipe around the bracket tray and the chair switches. We didn't do a lot of surface disinfecting at the time. And so what we do is take a big container and stuff in as many packs of gauze as we could, get a big jug of isopropyl alcohol and dump it in and soak all the gauze. Alcohol is not affected by the bleach and other products that are used to make the gauze, but the other products that we use now can be. So there are studies that show that after 24 hours of a disinfecting product soaking with gauze, it can actually inactivate the product. The fibers in the gauze will bind up the active ingredients. If there's bleach that was used to process the gauze, it will inactivate. So that's not a good idea. So you can take three by threes or four by fours and put them in a container, but you have to make it up fresh every day. And you have to be diligent about that because if you don't, you maybe haven't an ineffective product and I don't reuse the gauze. So if I had some left over from the day before, I don't just put more in and put fresh solution. You have to completely start over every day if you do that. Or you can take the spray bottles because apparently the, the um, disinfecting products are still quite available in the spray bottle and you can keep dry three by threes or dry four by fours in the treatment room and then just direct the spray from the bottle onto the gauze as you're cleaning and as you're disinfecting. Um, I have been an advocate of not spraying for a very long time and that makes me cringe just a little bit of spraying disinfectant around but if you direct it right into the gauze so it's not dispersing into the air I think that that is a good alternative. What about, I heard some people using paper towels. Paper towels are fine. Paper towels are fine. It just, the problem with using paper towels though is you're going to use more product because the paper towels are larger and there's more surface area and it takes more um, solution to get them wet and you've got to have them nice and saturated. So paper towels can work. You can buy um, dry wipes that don't have any solution on them. And you can use those with a spray bottle, but you have to look at the manufacturer's instructions for the, the wipes because some of them have are, are approved to be saturated with the solution. So you might be able to buy the dry canisters of wipes and then saturate them with your um, with your product or you just take the dry wipes and then saturate them as you go. Okay, so. I, I mean, it makes sense. It's not if we can use the paper towel and the solution is still available. Mm -hmm. It's not like an incredibly difficult issue that we have on hand as not having the mask because you can't just fold a bandana and, and use it as a surgical level three. <laughs> exactly. I think there's there's um, there's workarounds, if you will, and, and there will be solutions um, available. I again, I just want to repeat that it, you can't use long-term gauze that you're soaking in your solution. It, it has to be made up fresh every single day. Yeah. Okay. Um, what about fogging? Well, we're starting to see some studies come out now about fogging and I, I'm still on the fence about it um, because we, we're seeing studies about fogging against coronavirus, okay, and it being active against coronavirus, but we still haven't seen any validated studies 
in dentistry. Doesn't hurt, but the thing to remember is that you have to clean a surface first before you can disinfect it. So you're still going to have to wipe a surface with something before you fog. Now, what I hear a lot of people do is um, fog maybe at the end of the day. So they, if they have a buildup of aerosols over the day, they fog and hope that, you know, the aerosols are killed by the, by the next morning when they come in. But the reality is, as soon as you see your first patient the next day, you've got contaminated aerosols in the air. I don't know that it's a great idea to fog after every patient. Um, that's a lot of material being dispersed around. We don't have any idea what these products might do to some of the electronics in our um, in our operatories. So, in fact, the hypochlorous acid, which is one of the most common products out there being used for fogging, precipitates out into a salt. Well, salt's corrosive, and so if we have metal, we have electronics ugh, that could could be a problem. But I think a lot of people like the fogging because it looks cool and it's they've seen it done on on TV and and all of that. But I'm still on the fence about it. Yeah, I think what I heard and what I'm what I think some of our offices are leaning to is when in the times of desperate. Right. So, so number one, it's a lot of uncertainty. There's no guidelines. And we're in a desperate times when. Back in January, you can look at the um, the thing that that cleans the air, mm -hmm. air filtration, air filtration. Mm -hmm. And I remember the midwinter, nobody even would look at it, right? Because it was like five hundred bucks, and people like who would spend five hundred bucks on this fancy machine? Then COVID starts. I call them up, and they're like, "We're sold out for the next six months. Mm -hmm. Nothing is available." Right. Then we have another option uh, which we talked about last time it's a direct aerosol thing that pulls the the air out and it's twenty five hundred dollar mm -hmm. right and so i think people want to do something yes i agree right and and i think when they hear somebody come back and say you can use the fogging uh just buy the sprayer it gives some kind of peace of mind at least it gives them some kind of something that they can do while they can't get their hands on the air cleaning device or they don't want to spend the $2,500 on, on the big machine, sure. which we can talk about later why I think people are hesitant spending so much money per treatment room on the machine that may not even be required at some point. So that's where I think like that was one of the hopes of, you know, some of the offices that said, let me get that fogging thing. I think so. I think practices, as you say, you know, these are desperate times. And I think practices are looking for tangible things they can do because they want it to be safer. But you have to also look at the science. And we don't have validated studies yet in dentistry that say that it takes care of those aerosols. And what the CDC is saying is they are recommending that we do something with HVAC systems in buildings, increasing air exchange rates, and they're recommending air purification systems in treatment rooms. So the, the bottom line is that pretty much none of those um, devices, those air purification devices have again, been validated yet against COVID-19, but they are validated against other viruses and they do produce cleaner air. And so it's a healthier environment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I understand not wanting to spend $2,500 for an extra oral suction unit. However, I think they have really great application in hygiene. So in, a, in the doctor's treatment rooms, there's a dental assistant there who can suction for the doctor. And we do have validated studies that show how much we can reduce the aerosols with appropriate high volume evacuation and, and where we place the suction tip relative to where the spray is coming from a handpiece or an ultrasonic um, insert tip. But the hygienist doesn't necessarily have that um, luxury that they have some someone. And, and I think it's a lot more difficult for a hygienist to try to scale with one hand and suction with the other, especially because they want to use their mirror to help reflect light or to see. And so to have something that's very effective at 
eliminating that aerosol with an extra oral suction, I think is a good adjunct. So it's not like it would be investing in one of those units for every single treatment room, but Mm -hmm. in the hygiene rooms, it makes perfect sense. That makes sense. Yeah. What about the 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 product that Dent Supply just came out? It probably came out a long time ago. It's called Drivac with a with a round tip with a mirror at the oh, end. PureVac. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and it's it's a great um, evacuation tip with the mirror on it, but it still requires a lot of movement on the part of the hygienist to keep repositioning it all the time close to where they're working. And it doesn't allow them then to reflect the tissue, but there are neat little devices that are used a lot for whitening procedures called Optragate. It's kind of like a a cheek and lip retraction system that's disposable. And so it can pull the cheeks out of the way. um, So it makes it easier for the the hygienist. I'll get you the information on Mm -hmm. that so Mm -hmm. so you can share it. But um, I I really think those extra oral suction devices are, they're going to free up both, well, one of the hands of the hygienist and very effectively remove the aerosols. And we do know from studies that have been done that, ultrasonic scaling or any type of power scaling creates the most aerosol of any procedure. Now, you also can change the settings on your scalers. Less water, um, less power. You don't have to have them cranked all the way up. And so you can reduce the aerosol that way as well. Got it. It's just a lot of details. Usual anymore. Yeah. It's a lot of details. Yeah. You know, like I see it every day at um, at our office where you've been, uh, the Whiskey Dental Care. Um, I mean, just how much they change and they had to change the procedures, mm-hmm. uh, like just overall procedures, not about the work itself, but right. the work around the work, right? Right. Um, you know, how the morning huddles changed, the, the areas where they have lunch changed. Uh, thank God they have the area outside where they can go and sit outside and have lunch. Sure. Um, how they prep in the morning, the, you know, how everybody look like, right? So with yeah. face shields and masks and everything. Um, sometimes I just wonder when I get up, when I get here in the morning before their morning huddle, everybody checks the temperatures and mm-hmm. I'm always trying to shoot for a hundred. I'm like, can I get the hundred? You know, <laughs> like we have this running joke and I'm always at 97.1 or two yeah. or something. Yeah. So sometimes I wonder like, is this how we're going to keep going now? Well, we're going to keep going like that for the foreseeable future, absolutely, until this pandemic has been declared over. And that could be a while. I mean, it it could possibly be if you listen to um, Dr. Fauci, he said it could be a couple of years before this happens. Um, is it a good idea always to screen patients for a fever when they come in? Yeah, it's not a bad idea um, because what if they have some other underlying condition that we don't know about? Um, I, I think what COVID has done in a positive way is really mm-hmm. made us look at the risks of aerosols and the things that we can and should do to mitigate that so we make a healthier environment. But will we have to... Um, have our patients wear a mask coming into the office and leaving the office forever? I I don't know. I I don't think so, but we just don't know yet. Um, And I think it also depends on (laughs) what happens in November, whether Mm -hmm. we have a president that will allow the CDC to be a little more uncensored, if you will, um, and will, and, God bless them. They're doing their very best under some tough conditions to get accurate information out to us. But we just don't know what is being censored out of some of these guidelines right now that that we maybe need to know. And that's a yeah. scary, but that's a totally other conversation. Yeah. Off the record. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the things that I'm personally frustrated about, probably the right, the right word is, I remember when this whole thing started back in March, you and I were on a phone mm-hmm. or doing this video call. And I had a feeling that this could be a point where we can turn things around for that 10% of the dental offices that just don't care. 
Yes. Right. So I believe there is a solid 80 percent of dental offices in the country that follow the guidelines. These are good offices. They have the right. heart in the right place. Right. Then there's this 10 percent that are just starting out and things like that. But then there's this 10 percent that you and I know that will use the same masks yeah. that will like not, you know, like I'm talking about level one disposables. They will use oh, yeah. it and save it right like they will use the same gloves they'll try to wash it and things like that so like that 10 percent. and my hope was when that whole thing started in march is there will be some guidelines and tough rules and regulations for that 10 percent to be like you can't operate that anymore because i can't imagine sending my mom there no right to that kind of office no but like they they operate in that environment and i was really hoping that that's what's going to happen but i feel like with time as it goes on, like April, May, June, July, we're turning into something else. It's not that anymore. It's it's like people are fighting over, like, can I use the 3M for two or three weeks versus like, you know, for a day or two or something like that. Like that whole reasoning is going away and that 10% is not being fixed. That's what I'm worried about. Mm-hmm. And and I agree with you. It, um, I, I think 10% is a, is a good number. And I, I do think that some of those practices that really don't make things transparent to their patients that are really not doing the right things are being scrutinized more by their patients now. And patients are asking questions. Um, but I think it's too soon yet to... Um, see whether we will have a lot of cases of COVID transmitted in those practices. Um, And I too am disappointed that we haven't seen some more changes or some more direction from, from OSHA. But I think what's happening right now is OSHA, just like everybody else, is pretty much overwhelmed. They're getting complaints like crazy and they're having to deal with all types of businesses across the board that we we were told that dentistry might may be on the um, um, emphasis list for inspections or enforcement, but I think they're just so overwhelmed right now that they they can't get to everybody, but eventually they will. I, and I think that they're just kind of sitting back. Plus, we also have to remember that promulgating changes to any kind of OSHA regulations is a lengthy, lengthy process. So mm-hmm. um, it could take six months, could take a year, could take longer for that to happen. I, it was, oh, I want to say about a two-year process for the bloodborne pathogen standard way back in the in the 1990s. So, um I, I think something will happen and we will get some more of that, but there always will be those outliers that just believe that they're not um, susceptible. There's still so many naysayers that think this is still a hoax and it's not real. Oh, it's just a little case of the flu. They don't understand that. You know, I read an article yesterday that talked about it's not just lung damage that people suffer if they have serious COVID um, complications. It's heart, liver, um, and nervous, central nervous system problems. So yeah, 90 some percent of people don't get really bad symptoms, don't have to go to the hospital, but what about that 10% of people who could? And it could be any of us. And it's not restricted just to the older populations anymore. There was a nine-year-old girl that was reported yesterday that was perfectly healthy and she was exposed and she died. So we don't know. I think that there will always be those people who are going to push against it. Don't tell me what I have to do. I'm going to do it my way. I've been doing this all along and nothing's ever happened. So I'm just going to continue doing what I'm doing. And I think every healthcare provider has an ethical responsibility, even if it's not a legal um, requirement to do the right thing. They have the ethical responsibility to do the right thing for themselves, for their employees for their patients and for their families mm-hmm. so yeah 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 i agree with you i think at least the patient side is that's you know they're the least educated in that sense when they go and get to tre- uh, get to receive the treatment yeah but that's i think that's shifting because there's so much information available now to patients online um not all of it good necessarily they're 
finding out some crazy things on on Facebook um, and other social media sites, but they know who the CDC is and they certainly know how to find the CDC online. And so I think a lot of patients are, are starting to ask. I've been working with a group a large group that um, they've made the decision that they're going to wear the PAPR devices with the hoods and the power packs like you see uh, the hospital workers doing, and their patients love it. They tell them they feel so much more comfortable. They feel so very safe that um, they're not going to infect potentially one of the, the staff members, or they might get infected from one of the staff members. And I think that a lot of patients are going to start demanding that, not necessarily to the level of a papper, but to know what what are you doing to protect me? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's where the offices can go on the offense Absolutely. to, you know, like as marketing and everything else is is how do you do the, the, the things to protect the team, the patients and everybody else? Absolutely. I think that has to be on their website, their social media channels, when they're on the phone, it has to be everywhere. And you need to repeat to these patients several times, you know, you must wear a mask when you come in. So you don't get the Oh, the dental Karen who went ballistic. Um, probably everybody's seen that video by now. You can't make me wear a mask. It's not the law. You can't take my temperature. You're not an MD. She just went nuts. And I want to say, I wonder what they did to educate her before she got there to know that this is how we operate now. And this is why um, she was going to have her teeth cleaned no matter what. So, yeah, we have to be constantly educating. And we did a lot of that during the HIV AIDS epidemic. And then we kind of backed off and now we need to ramp it up again. It has to be visible. It has to be we have to have complete transparency with our patients about what we do, how we do it. So they have confidence and they will then convey that confidence to other people. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Are there any observations that that you wanted to add Yes. Is there anything? Yes. Mm -hmm. um, I, I hear a lot of um, comments from people and I see a lot of feedback on various um, social media channels complaining about fatigue and shortness of breath and things when they're wearing their respirators. And absolutely that can happen. But it, I have to go back and say, first of all, if you're wearing N95s, they do have to be fit tested. And maybe if it hasn't been fit tested, it's not the right one if it's causing those problems. But you don't have to wear that N95 respirator from the time you walk in the door until the time you leave at the end of the day. You can take it off when you're not doing patient care procedures, take it off in the appropriate way so that you don't contaminate yourself and store it in a place where it's, it's uh, an appropriate place to, to keep it. And then you can put on a level one or a level two or even a cloth mask, according to the CDC. So it gives you a break from being in that N95 respirator all the time. And a lot of people That's don't realize point. that. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. So that could help. Got it. And the proper place for N95, not on your chest, not on your head. No, 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 in no. Between no. the patients. No. You take it off. You you um, take it off by the straps, and then you hold it by the straps. So you're not going to touch that part of the mask. And you, some people will just put it in a paper bag to keep it um, protected and and store it. You don't take it back in the break room and store it. I would leave it um, perhaps in a treatment room or maybe somewhere on the dirty side of the sterilization area somewhere um, if you're going to take it off. But yeah, we don't put it around our neck. We don't, I have seen people do it up on the top of their head. No, that is not an appropriate thing to do. Yeah, so don't ask me where to keep it. I did I'll have all the wrong places. Of some place in England where there was a man walking down the street with just a face mask on in a strategic place, which was hysterically funny. But we're not. Oh, wow. that <laughs> all right. Sounds good. Mary, um, are there any updates that are coming up from OSHA or CDC in the next couple of weeks or a month that we should be paying attention to? Not that I know of, but um, anyone can go onto the CDC website, cdc.gov, and 
if you go to the page for coronavirus, all the way down at the bottom of the page, there is a, a place where you can sign up for updates and you just have to put in your email address. They will send you a message to confirm it. And then you will automatically get those updates in your email. OSHA has a newsletter called Quick Takes that you can go to OSHA.gov and sign up for that. I believe it's in the publications section. It's free. And that comes out usually every two weeks. So those would be ways to know um, if there are updates. Right. And I think back to the point what you and I talked about even way back then in January when we started the seminars, Mm -hmm. I think it's a good idea for offices to designate one person like OSHA master, call it the the CDC master, that one person that can sign up for these newsletters that will have part of their schedule, the work schedule, to be on the CDC websites, to look and study new things that are coming out, be in a webinars like what we're doing right now, right. like just to be aware of what's going on and help the offices transition through these times into the, these different phases. I think a lot of offices, again, are just jumping in and whatever they can get information, they get information. But right. now I think it's even more important to have that designated safety person. Absolutely. Well, and it's required by OSHA in the bloodborne pathogen standard and in the hazard communication standard, it says there has to be someone Mm -hmm. designated as the OSHA manager or the OSHA coordinator. So yes. Um, And I have told a lot of people that I think that that person um, or maybe another person on the team also needs to be appointed as just the infection control coordinator, that that's what they do is monitor all of the information um, and make sure that everybody gets updated and that's the person that um, patients know they can go to. Uh, So yeah, somebody has to be in charge. Otherwise no one is and it's just chaos and trying to get information. Yep. Yep. Sounds good. Mary, anything that we missed? I don't think so for now. I I will do a little plug that um, I do a monthly newsletter that Mm -hmm. anyone can sign up for. If they go to um, marygavoni.com, they can sign up on um, on the homepage for the newsletter and happy to share that information with everyone and we look at what's all the latest breaking info and and so forth and we also do um, updates on HIPAA compliance as well so anything that has to do with regulatory compliance that's amazing and uh, Irina let's make sure to link it up in the notes so that people can sign up and OSHA uh, people in the offices definitely need to sign up and be aware of the information that you're sending out absolutely awesome Mary thank you so much you're so welcome I hope you get to enjoy August. Maybe it's <laughs> going to be less crazy. I sort of do too. I do. Um, we're we're going to try to make a little road trip vacation this summer. So I don't know. We'll see. I don't want to. That's I just want to drive in the car. I don't want to get out of the car. <laughs> right. Right. See the sights. And yeah, that's right. That's exactly. awesome. Thank you so much again. And uh, we'll you. talk sometime in the fall. Okay. Keep up your good work, Tiger. You're doing a great job. We'll do. Thanks. We'll do. Thank you so much. Uh-huh. Uh, bye-bye. Bye.